Hello everyone, my name is Stephanie Bartels and I would like to welcome you to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. We have two very special guests joining us today. Helen Cox is the Business Director, Alkylation and Treating for Honeywell UOP, and Jim Gable is Vice President of Chevron's Technical Center. We are going to speak with them on Chevron and UOP's startup of the first commercial ISO Alki unit. With that, I would like to welcome our special guests today. Helen and Jim, how are you doing today? Doing well. Great. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you for awesome. having us. Thank you for joining us. So can you please let the listeners know about your role at Chevron and Honeywell UOP? Sure. Why don't I take that one first, Helen? I'm uh, I'm vice president of Chevron's Technical Center, Stephanie, which is our central R&D and technical services organization. I lead the downstream technology and services function within that technical center, and we're a very talented group of about 450 folks dedicated to solving the tough technical issues and challenges of our downstream organization within Chevron, and so that includes our refining, fuels, lubricants, and some other downstream businesses. Your, your listeners of the podcast are likely well aware that Chevron's a highly technical company and has been for decades. That includes the downstream function, and they may also know that in refining specifically, Chevron's invented and then commercialized many of the hydroprocessing and refining technologies we use across the industry today, including hydrocracking, uh, reniforming, Aramax, ISO waxing, and now the new LC slurry process for resid upgrading. And, uh, you know, the scientists and engineers and technicians within the downstream technology group continue to advance those technologies. They also work on new challenges and new technologies like the isoalkyl technology that we'll talk about today, which is really one of the major innovations in alkylation over the past 80 years. Thanks, Jim. Um, my name is Helen Cox. I'm the uh, business director at UOP for alkylation and treating technology portfolios. And my special focus is around the commercialization and business development of isoalkyl technology. Uh, and as, as Jim said, your listeners are probably aware of uh, both of the firms, UOP uh, specifically is a technology licensing firm that has invented technology uh, for the past 100 years, I think this year is about our 107th year, and we've invented technologies all the way from you know light molecules to heavy molecules. So um, I'm very excited to be here and talk about the latest and greatest in alkylation uh, technology area uh, that we're really excited about. Happy to have you both. So today I wanted to discuss Honeywell UOPs and Chevron's startup of the first commercial isoalkyl unit. Can you provide a brief overview of the process and what it does and produces? Okay, I'll take this one. Um, isoalkyl is one of the conversion processes used in a refinery. Um, it enables the, the same basic chemistry that is similar to other alkylation technologies like sulfuric acid alkylation or HF. And so it's used to convert small olefinic molecules like propylene and butenes and isobutane into alkylate, which is a high octane and a key gasoline blending component. Um, at a high level, isoalkyl process flow scheme is uh, very similar to other liquid alkylation technologies. Um, we have a small feed treatment section where the olefins and the isobutane are treated and then directed to the reactor section for alkylate make. Um, the reactor effluent is then sent to product distillation to take alkylate as product. Um, the isoalkyl catalyst is um, quite the enabler for our process and, and is unique in itself. 
Um, it is regenerated in a small in-situ regeneration section that's online uh, within the unit, which is a uh, slightly different uh, than current existing technologies. Great, and can you walk us through the steps on how this JV process came to be? Sure, Helen, I'll, I'll jump in on that one. Um, the development of the technology itself is really another example of the amazing effort and endurance it takes to launch one of these new processes in the refining space. In this case, ISO-ALKI started with some really smart and curious people uh, more than 20 years ago. In the late 1990s, the core of the technology, this advanced ionic liquid, first began to attract attention from researchers in scientific organizations in many fields. And Chevron scientists saw that there could be potential in several specific areas for refining and they began exploratory work uh, end of that decade, around 1999. And they were getting up to speed on the research in the field, through the literature, they were doing material screening, theoretical calculations. And by 2004, they'd identified a catalyst for alkylation trials in bench scale units. And you know, these are the small volume equipment that sits on a, on a lab bench. And then in 2009, we built a 10 barrel a day pilot plant at our Salt Lake refinery to further test out the technology. And so that was a jump of around 100 times the size of those early bench scale units. And we ran that pilot plant successfully for five years to generate all the data and information we'd need to design the refinery scale unit once we got there. And that refinery scale unit would be and is, now that we've done it, around 500 times bigger than that pilot. So quite some scaling jumps as we moved forward. And around that same time, this is uh, in early 2016, we started to see the full potential of the technology and where it could go in the industry. And so in March of that year, we teamed up with Honeywell UOP to license the technology broadly to other refiners. And we've been working closely ever since to further advance the technology. UOP has been a really strong partner, bringing to the table a lot of experience and leadership and alkylation technology, as well as in the general scale up of new processes inside refineries. And, and both Chevron and UOP, I always highlight are very complimentary in this particular effort. Chevron brought to the Alliance the operational experience around the technology at the bench scale and pilot scale, along with that commercial plant design, while UOP has brought the deep experience in launching new process technologies and market knowledge and a lot of things that complement what Chevron was bringing to the table. And so over the last few years, we've worked very well together. Chevron's embarked on building the first of its kind unit for a full-scale production facility of the isoalkyl technology at its Salt Lake refinery. And uh, we started up the unit this spring. It's exceeded our expectations so far. We had on-spec production within two days of startup. And so it's a long road, and that's you know more than 20 years I just outlined. And that's why whenever anyone says, hey, it's a new technology you've got, it, it, really, it really isn't a new technology when you think about the, uh, the long journey of what we've done. How is this technology more beneficial versus other alkylation processes? Well, Helen, why don't I jump in on that and then and then you can follow up perhaps. Um, you know, the isoalkyl technology at its heart uses a non-aqueous salt or this ionic liquid at temperatures below 100 degrees F to convert the high olefin LPG streams coming off an FCC into that high value, high octane blending component that Helen was mentioning earlier. 
And the much, much higher activity of the isoalpha catalyst relative to conventional processes on the order of you know, 50 times as active means that only about three to 6% of the contents of the alkylation reactor is ionic liquid. And if you think about that, that means that you've got uh, reduced handling requirements, you've got lower volume requirements of the reactor, and that results in smaller units, which is an inherent capex advantage. And also less ionic liquid is consumed in the alkylation process than with hydrofluoric or sulfuric acid, uh, which are those conventional processes I, I referred to. And the catalyst is regenerated with isoalkyl in a small emissions-free, fully integrated regen process on-site. So there's no off-site transport or significant on-site capex that's needed. And there's no SO2 or CO2 emissions from the regen step either. And then finally, and you know, of particular importance to refiners, the ionic liquid catalyst can be handled with standard PPE, which is different than those conventional uh, acid catalysts I mentioned earlier. And it doesn't form a vapor cloud or mist if released, so there's no such mitigation systems for those events uh, uh, that are needed. And overall, the way I'd summarize it is that there's much less energy and effort needed relative to those conventional technologies to run the alkylation process safely and that's a big benefit. So, you know, from my perspective, it's the higher activity, it's the easier regen and the safer handling uh, that really make it uh, an important and attractive uh, technology for refiners. I'll add here, um, you know, to, to Jim's points, which are excellent from a licensor's perspective, um, you know, when I talk to customers, there are a few key differentiators that I tend to see customers get very excited about. Um, and Jim obviously talked about uh, some of those big drivers for this technology. But in addition to that, um, Isoalki has fantastic feedstock variability that enables processing of feeds like ethylene, propylene, butylene, emylene, olefins, and isopentane, which gives refiners an outlet for uplifting low value components into high value alkylate that would either traditionally not have been uh, possible to process or would have had significant implications on capex and opex so this really opens up um, pathways that are economic drivers for for using alkyl. what is next for this technology in other words where does uop and chevron plan to license this technology i'll take uh, that one um, we tend to see sort of two global dynamics uh, playing out right now. Um, we're seeing continued growth in gasoline demand, particularly in developing economies. Um, in those regions, our customers are looking at new unit installations of Isoalki, and we have several active projects around the globe uh, that fit into this category. We expect that you know, this trend continues for the next decade or so, uh, supported by the, the growth expected in those regions. Um, in the developed economies like North America and Western Europe, uh, the expectation is that gasoline demand will continue to decrease. But I think, you know, we internally think rather the really interesting question here is how does the demand growth of alkylate track demand growth of gasoline? And is there an asymmetry between the two? Um, we expect we'll be seeing that the alkylate growth rate is continuing to decouple from that of gasoline demand and that we're already really starting to see this materialize. Um, there is a strong and growing demand for alkylates. Uh, and in North America and Western Europe, 
while we don't expect uh, many new units, we expect to see significant retrofit activity that enables additional production capacity. What is the scalability of this plant? For example, range of processing capacity. Does this technology work best at a specific capacity range? We have done basic engineering designs for a high range of capacities. And in all of those cases, we've been able to meet product requirements of our customers. So there's no theoretical or mechanical limits on capacity for the technology. It's simply a function of customer economics and meeting demand. Should a refinery want to incorporate this technology into their current plant configuration, what steps are needed to incorporate an isoalkyl plant into the mix? Does it need to be greenfilled, or can a refiner convert an existing unit into an isoalkyl unit? Well, uh, maybe I'll take that one, Helen, with our current experience. Uh, we just did it with with a uh, uh, with a brownfield. So certainly you can use the unit with a greenfield configuration or a brownfield. And once again, we we just built one in Salt Lake uh, to replace an HF acid unit. And, you know, all during that construction, we kept the old alkylation unit running. Um, we used a substantial portion of that HF plant uh, in the new plant, which once again reduced CapEx costs. And with that experience, you know, I would probably share three, three steps that we would think would be important uh, that we learned in our construction. First, and, you know, this is no different than any other capital project inside a refinery. You really need good organization and planning. For such a project when you got an active refinery that's ongoing and you know second you need a dedicated incremental resource for the project that you can supplement the refinery's workforce with and that's similar to you know any big project inside a refinery and then finally over the last few years chevron's really emphasized simulator technology and training and that helped in this case too the operators have done a great job getting up to speed on the new unit. So I would I would share those kind of three recommendations from our perspective. And, you know, from a licensor point of view where, you know, we, we are trying to reach out to a wider range of uh, refiners, we offer both options for ISOALKI. Um, we're seeing new unit requests for customers that are looking either for new, you know, refinery capacity additions for the regions I discussed earlier, or when customers have reached equipment life in their existing acid alkylation units and would like to reinvest in replacement. So for those, um, we can do uh, greenfield. We also see revamp requests uh, very similar to Salt Lake City Refinery for converting HF or sulf sulfuric acid alkylation units due to the advantages of ISOC we discussed earlier. Um, for those you know, who, might, who may be interested in converting their HF unit to ISOC, Isoalkyl requires a new reactor, settler, and regeneration uh, equipment, but most of the existing sections, such as feed treating, product separation, product treatment, can all be reused. Um, we study the existing equipment for specific refineries all the time. We've done these um, feasibility studies, and we provide we can provide detailed information around you know each piece of equipment and uh, their ability to be reused. And in most cases the revamps lead to increasing capacity, which is a big economic driver, and without violating uh, permitting restrictions that may have been preventing the refiner from increasing the capacity in the past. So um, those are pretty big drivers for both the revamp and the new units that, that we offer. Well, again, Helen and Jim, we cannot thank you enough for your time today to discuss this milestone in our industry. 
Lastly, we want to thank all of you for listening to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column.